0: Hi, pop alternate, and you're free. Before that, it was Leon and Pretty Boy. Oh, that reminds me. Join us on Facebook Live if you have nothing better to do because it's the parson's nose of marshy movie time today coming your way. And, of course, the brew is the page, and that's where we are right now. So let's say hi to the man himself. Hello, James. What's cooking?
1: How are you doing? Yes, lots to talk about this week. Uh, we have Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon, part one, on Netflix... Uh, Out in cinemas, we have Evil Does Not Exist, new film from Yunsuke Hamaguchi of Drive My Car fame. Uh, We also have big new local uh, financial thriller The Goldfinger, reuniting Tony Leung and Andy Lau for the first time since (laughs) Burn the First Three. First of all, however... Uh, we do have a bit of sad news to talk about, which was, uh, I'm sure, people will have not seen in the news earlier this week. The uh, very untimely death of Korean actor Lee Seung Kyun, yeah, who took his own life on the 27th, just uh, just two days ago, age 48. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, in his prime. Um, I was lucky enough to meet him earlier this year. Actually, he, I, when I was in uh, Bucheon, in uh, in Korea, they did a special screening of a sort of a new cult classic in the making that he was a very prominent part of a movie called Killing Romance, which is uh, directed by uh, Lee Won Sok, who I happen to be quite friendly with. And so we yeah. were invited to the the little sort of cast after party after they did a sort of Q&A for a special fan screening there. And he was a uh, you know, very nice guy. People will recognize him from Parasite. Yes. He's, you know, there's the two families from Parasite. He is the the, the husband of the wealthy family in there. So a very, very prominent role there. Uh, but he has, you know, he's been around and he's put his time in and um, you know, it was the lead in A Hard Day. He's done a number of movies with Hong Sang-soo. So, you know, a very sort of leading, light, prominent member of the Korean film industry, uh, who then earlier this year became embroiled in a drug scandal. Now, um, you know, that can mean all kinds of things, but because of Korea's draconian and outdated and ridiculous uh, drug laws, quite frankly, Um, he then became sort of targeted, uh, sort of hung out to dry. Essentially, he lost all of his um, endorsements, all of his contracts. His career is essentially flushed down the toilet overnight, purely because of accusations of, you know, taking, you know, not very serious drugs, uh, which he, till till the end, claimed uh, was the result of coercion and blackmail and, you know, not deliberate and was not something that he indulged in and all the rest of it. He had been brought in by the police a number of times, but then, you know, the media had a field day with it, as they are wont to do over there. And um, he left a suicide note and he said, frankly, you know, I can't can't take this anymore. I've had enough. And so he... um, he he burned some charcoal in his car that he, in a park and uh, was found you know just by passers by and but it was too late yeah it's it's absolutely devastating it's it's terrible
0: yeah it's not i mean very often there's a lot of mystery as to what happens to these people but in this case really it's all there isn't it
1: it's all out in the open uh yeah and it's not the you know the first time i mean Sadly, it's an all too common occurrence in specifically the Korean film industry, also in Japan as well, where um, sort of stars are held to a higher standard, sort of an impossibly high standard, you know, as yeah. public figures. And they're, you know, they are just a. Uh, you know, run through the mincer by, by the media if they do anything wrong, and uh, are immediately dropped by their talent agencies and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's absolutely ridiculous, quite frankly. And the the body count that this kind of attitude in the media and in in it and in the you know the legal system as well. Yeah. well this in, is the first uh, most of us have heard uh, about
0: the scene in Korea. So is this pretty indicative?
1: It's it's an all too common occurrence, you know, quite often, you know, all too often you'll hear of some young starlets in particular, just being, um, you know, just suffering from sort of intense scrutiny over the top, you know, to to do with sort of their personal lives, their relationship status, um, you know, beauty standards, obviously, that they're held to, which are sort of impossible to maintain and remain healthy at the same time. And uh, persecution from online netizens, trolls, whatever you want to call them—not uh, such a glamorous profession, then, really. No, absolutely not. No, di- I mean there was a documentary I saw at, at Busan in Korea earlier this uh, this year called "Dear Genry," which was all about a um, a young uh, sort of starlet who had, and it was it was made up from the very last interview she did just a couple of days before she also took her own life as well. And so this is something that you know. Is is just sort of a, an all too common problem, mm. and uh, no one really seems willing to admit that it's sort of the industry itself that is really th- causing it and and is the problem. Yeah. So, um, well, sad yeah, very very sad indeed, very oh. sad indeed. But he ha- and he, you know and he has left behind some good work. What what what's the Sorry. the fans' well, parasite. response? Parasite's the big. One. Well, the fans' response is is the same as mine. It's. Uh, it's it's that um, he was he was forced into this situation, you know, where he felt that he had no alternative. Yeah. Um, over something that many of us or many people in many countries around the world consider fairly trivial in this day and age, mm. quite frankly, and but uh, is held r- as ridiculously serious in Korea, unreasonably so. I think it's not uh, unreasonable to say, huh. and. Um, Paid, you know paid the penalty because of it fascinating stuff we've never talked about this about
0: the scene no, not like really. in, in any countries all we hear about is America mm, yeah mm. But Korea I mm. mean what a burgeoning movie scene it is there and this is the this is the flip side of it isn't it
1: well this this is this is absolutely the flip side where you know there are you know so sort of a I mean this doesn't apply to Lee Sung-Kinley in particular but there is sort of a um a factory line of sort of stars being sort of pumped out hmm. uh and they are really put through the ringer you know they're, they're sort of a lot of them a lot their careers are launched through these academies you've seen um you know a lot of sort of reality shows and behind the scenes shows of just how tough it is to to get selected to be part of i don't know bts or Blackpink or whatever makes it is sense. um and, you know, where, where they're not allowed to eat anything and that they've got to train all day long and, you know, all of these sort of really tough uh, regulations. But mm-hmm. then once they're out in the public eye, there isn't adequate protection for them. And they are sort of put on a pedestal, but where they are, you know, the target of all kinds of very disgusting, sadistic abuse from people who feel that because they are hidden behind their phone or their, uh, or their keyboard but, that they can uh, say, say whatever they want. And on it goes, what do you think? Join
0: us on Facebook Live if you've got a few minutes. It's the last movie, last, last, marshy movie time of the year. We'd love to hear from you. This is a massive topic. It's news to me. It's fascinating. It's incredibly sad. But I'm really interested Mm. to hear more about this. And we would talk about the scene in other countries like Japan
1: or wherever you might be. I think Korea's the one, though, isn't it? Korea and Japan seem to be sort of the worst, you know, where it... um sadly has like the highest body count from this kind of thing and it's it's really quite uh, upsetting okay it's, it's tough stuff okay love to hear what you have to say what do you want to get into mushy uh i'm gonna change what i said to you a moment ago um and i'm what gonna do e- <laughs> i'm gonna do evil does not exist instead right now where?
0: To... who <clears throat> he's always complaining that i don't listen to him
1: to be honest, I know, which is true. <laughs> I've, sto- I've, I've stopped. I've uh, stopped. I've stopped listening to you too. It's okay.
0: Fair enough. Just wait for the, wait for the breaths. Wait for the pauses. Is our team of experts likely to have heard of any of the stuff you're talking
1: about today? I think so. I mean, I'm going to w- leave it till after the news now, but I mean, I'm going to talk about Rebel Moon, which is uh, Zack Snyder's big sci-fi extravaganza that is a Netflix movie. And I imagine because yeah. it dropped it dropped an hour before our show last week, so I didn't have time true, to no. watch it. Uh, so everyone's had a week now and it has been the Christmas holidays and so I'm sure some people will have spent some time, uh, you know, comatosed on the on the couch in front of something. So if you have seen Rebel Moon, we'll be very interested to hear your opinions of that because it has provoked some fairly strong ones. You bet. Just quickly, Stephen joins us. Stephen, the captain, he says, What a tragedy.
0: Made me angry also. I think a lot of people will share that sentiment.
1: Yes, absolutely. You, know, it, it's, you look at what happened and it's wholly unnecessary. You know, this did not have to happen. Uh, There needs to be, you know, a real sort of review of all of these processes, um, the law even, uh, and uh, prevent this kind of thing from happening in the future as best they can. Righty-ho. Off you go then. Okay, Evil Does Not Exist is a Japanese uh, drama from Ryusuke Hamaguchi, who people may well know from his previous movie, Drive My Car, which uh, became the first ever Japanese film to be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. I think it was just last year, wasn't it? And it was. won Best International International Feature Film there, uh, which was it based on a, a, a short story by... Um, Haruki Murakami Um, this began life as uh, sort of an art installation piece Mm -hmm. Uh, his regular composer Eiko Ishibashi, had written you know something new that she uh, asked Tamaguchi to provide a sort of visual accompaniment for you know for, for a sort of um an exhibition piece, and uh, what developed turned into something a little bit more narrative-driven, and so they turned it into a movie instead. Uh, this takes place uh, in a small village outside Tokyo, Mitsubiki Village, um, in the present day. Uh, the The pandemic has has recently ended, um, during which there was a real boon in uh, sort of camping in Japan. It became incredibly popular, not just camping but glamping, glamorous camping. Yeah, yeah. Um, And some, you know, some developers from the city come to this very small, isolated, uh, self-sufficient village uh, looking to develop part of it into a glamping site uh, tailored to uh, Tokyo City urban uh, tourists, you know, for weekend breaks, etc. And obviously this is met by some uh, degree of protest from the, uh, the community. And uh, but but they they strike up uh, an, an idea, which is that there is there is one particular guy who seems to be a sort of jack of all trades for um for the village, and they were like, well, if we can get him on our side right. as kind of like sort of the the, the go between, then perhaps uh, he can sort of talk some sense uh, into the. Uh, into the rest of the community. And that is a guy called Takumi played by Hitoshi Omika, who sort of, you know, we see, we follow from much of the movie. He's like collecting water, chopping wood, this kind of stuff. As I said, you know, he's a bit of a sort of odd job man right. around the village and he has a young eight-year-old daughter. And um, he's a bit of a prickly character, but these two representatives who come to the town, uh, you know, they approach him and they sort of try and develop some kind of rapport with him in the hopes that he is then going to help them. Uh sort of persuade turn the village around and persuade them to uh allow them to develop this area and so you know it's a fairly sort of simple story and as hamaguchi is wont to be he tells his story it's in, in sort of a series of long uh unbroken sort of single takes almost like sort of mini uh theater pieces if you like sort of mm. all, all sort of str- strung together um but what i liked about it was that he sort of doesn't demonize the developers you know the two uh you know there's a man and a woman who come from the city and um you follow their lives as much as anything else there's a long sequence where they're just sort of dr- in the car driving together and they're just sort of making small talk you realize they don't know a great deal about each other's personal lives as they open up to each other during this kind of you know trip work trip and um you, you realize that they, they're you know they're not bad people they're just you know ordinary people were doing their jobs their job just happens to be based in the city rather than based out in the village yeah um so it's a it's a movie that's not in any hurry to tell its story but as the
0: as <laughs> like it does, pretty much all of the films you've told us about from japan
1: recently they, oh yeah, I mean, yeah. they do their thing <laughs> it is it's it's a wonderful kind of uh approach to filmmaking pacing is never you know the Seemingly the the most important factor, even when even when they're making movies that are clearly tailored for a, like a younger audience, where apparently you know everyone has a, a shorter attention span, um, you know. But it, but the pace the pacing here, you know, seems to align with sort of the pace of life in the community. It's beautifully yeah. shot, as one would imagine from something that started life as a as a you know as a, as a sort of visual art piece. Uh, beautiful countryside again it taps into you know very common themes in japanese storytelling you know about sort of uh tradition and modernization you know about city life and, and countryside and, and all the rest of it, and and the sort of inherent um clashes therein but there is a kind of a sort of a, a slightly sinister undertone that slowly begins to permeate, you know, the, a sense of impending threat, impending dread, not just to the, the village's future, but perhaps to, um, you know, the lives of the individuals themselves. So, as I said, not heavy on plot, but huge on atmosphere, and um, I, th- I actually was thoroughly sort of swept up by it. It was a little while ago I saw it now. I saw it in Busan uh, back in October, but it's really stayed with me. I liked it. Brilliant. Nearly time for the news. What are we going to get into afterwards? Rebel Moon. Rebel Moon. Zack Snyder's space opera.
0: Ooh, lovely. Join us on Facebook Live if you have a few minutes spare. In the meantime, let me shut him away so we can go and have a cup of tea. Weatherwise, sunny periods. R-T-H-K, radio dream.
1: And you may continue. Thank you very much. Okay, so let's talk about Rebel Moon, which is a big, grand spectacle space opera from Zack Snyder. From Zack Snyder. You know, he of 300 Watchmen, Man, Man of Steel, uh, the quote-unquote original version of the Justice League before it was uh, stripped from him. Yep. And, uh, he, and in his last movie, Army of the Dead, uh, was also a, a sort of a Netflix project. Uh, a sort of a, a fairly fun zombie action movie set in uh, in the casinos of Las Vegas. Right. So, Rebel Moon uh, should co- should come as no surprise to learn that it started life as a Star Wars project. Zach, about ten years ago, Zack Snyder conceived of what he wanted as a a more serious, adult toned Star Wars project. And you know, he he often you know goes for these sort of darker, grittier. Um, more adult-oriented takes on, uh, you know, otherwise uh, more universal properties like sort of the DC Universe. He's responsible for that being, you know, all dark and moody to a fault. Um, He pitched it to Lucasfilm back before Lucasfilm was even bought by Disney, and uh, they said, no, thanks. You know, that's not what we want to do. We want to go cuddlier and uh, lighter and familyer, And yeah. uh, we want, you know, we, we're a toy company, first and foremost. Uh, he then sort of tried to develop it as a video game uh, and then as a uh, TV series, uh, but to no avail until finally he pitched it to Netflix. And they said, yes, absolutely. Have as much money as you want. Make this grand thing that you're trying to do, which is is in he which obviously as i said uh now has to be legally different from a star wars movie even though it's very obviously <laughs> supposed to be supposed to be a star wars movie uh so now we get the the first half of rebel moon otherwise known as part 1 a child of fire so this is set in um the mother world you know a distant galaxy far far away where there is a grand imperialistic militarized um, empire essentially that is uh, governing everything with an iron fist, which mm. sounds very familiar to anybody who's ever watched uh, any of Star Wars. Cut to a very sort of small, idyllic um, moon called Velt, which, as you know, basically means field, and it is a moon populated solely by farmers. They live a sort of very peaceful, quiet, idyllic, rural existence. When one day, uh, you know, there, um, the bubble is. Is burst by the arrival of a huge, great star fighter and um, the and a very nasty um, general called Atticus Noble, played by Ed Screen, uh, and he says, "Look, um, we are sort of leading a hunt for the rebellion, which is somewhere in the in the region, and we have run out of food. We want all of your grain. We want all of your food stocks." And they say, "Well, you know, okay, we can get it. We can get it ready for you." And he says, "I will return uh, in ten weeks, and I want all of your grain." And they say, "Oh, okay, all right, fine. We have no choice." They, they, he kills the leader of the farming community. Uh, you and know, he as says, "Oh, okay, never mind. We've got another one." Right. Well, they were, well, you know. So he he kills their leader. Says, "You know, I'm going to come back in ten weeks. I want all of your food, essentially, to to uh, you know, to feed my men on their mission." Leaves a garrison behind, mm-hmm. and he flies off. Now, Cora. Our, our heroine, played by Sofia uh, is b- part of this farming community, but we learn very quickly that she, she isn't really. She's not indigenous to this moon. Uh, she has only joined this community a couple of years ago. She is on the run. She knows far more about the rebellion and about the imp- empire and all of this. And all of their evil backstory than these farmers, and she says this is going to end very, very badly for us. When they come back, they're just going to wipe us all out. Yep. What we need to do is defend ourselves. So she convinces them, I'm going to head off and I'm going to recruit a few, uh, you know, notable, notable warriors who are going to, I'm going to bring back and we are going to defend the village against the evil forces. Now, if this sounds anything like Seven Samurai or The Magnificent Seven no. or A Bug's Life or Battle Beyond the Stars or any other movie that essentially remade Seven Samurai in the last 70 years, then you're absolutely right because this is exactly Seven Samurai. Is this exactly uh, in a good way or a not-so-good way? Now, Phil, that's a very, very good question, because there are ways of doing this well. I mean, Magnificent Seven is a great adaptation of that. Battle Beyond the Stars. Clearly, Zack Snyder also saw Battle Beyond the Stars. Some of the spaceship designs are all too reminiscent of Battle Beyond the Stars spaceships. Now, obviously, you've got to remember that even Star Wars... Was owed a great debt to the films of Akira Kurosawa. Not only Seven Samurai, but also Hidden Fortress. The plot is essentially uh, you know, of the original Star Wars is a rehash of Hidden Fortress. Um, it obviously also is a lot to do with Joseph Campbell's Heroes, uh, Heroes Adventure. Um, it's it's um Arthurian legend, you know, it's all of those things. And rather than take elements of that and make something new. Uh, Zack Snyder is just compounding one on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other. Uh, Throw in a bit of Dune, throw in a bit of Avatar, throw in, you know, you name it, throw it in, cook it all up. Now, uh, this is a criticism that has been levied by many people, is that the result, albeit very visually interesting and beautiful, if somewhat derivative, feels like it's been written by AI. It's basically taken the lowest common denominator of all of those things (laughs) and churned out the most... The world is going bananas about AI, but it's become kind of an insult. (laughs) Oh, it's it's very much an insult in this case. It's become the most shallow... This film is the most shallow, derivative, soulless, vacuous regurgitation of all of those other far better things. Right. Um... To the point where there's not there's absolutely nothing to it. It's it's as profound and nuanced and deep as uh, as well, a very as, un nuanced as a petri dish. <laughs> as a petri dish, you would you would get you would get a better story by just sitting on the floor and playing with your Star Wars toys than you would by watching this movie. And it's the most frustrating is that he clearly knows. These all these other films back to front, and yeah. he clearly loves clearly loves them. I mean, you cannot accuse Zack Snyder of not sort of pouring his his affection for these movies
0: out. I've just been asked by Simon, one of our listeners, who says, uh, "You think he doesn't like this?"
1: <laughs> Am I showing my hand? I'm not sure, si, yeah. Actually, not sure. A
0: bit tricky this. Way. Well,
1: well, okay. Here's here's the other the other interesting thing about this is that. um this, this uh, dropped on Netflix last Friday, as I right. said, just before we went on air. Uh, you know, perfect time for Christmas. And Netflix clearly uh, had in its mind, okay, this is going to be the big Christmas hit mm. on, our, on our platform, you know, for, for the whole family. And, and in order for it to fit that uh, demographic... Um, it needed to have its like wings clipped ever so slightly. You know, you notice... For, it's a film, you know, about conflict and war and violence and rebellion and, and, and all of the rest. But it seems that every time they go in for the kill shot in any of these battles, yeah. it cuts away. It cuts away and the kill shot is missing. And so it came as no surprise to learn... Um, that there is a harder, tougher, more violent, R-rated cut of this movie (laughs) that is going to rear rear its head on Netflix, of course, um, in the coming months. We also know that this is just part one of a big two-part saga, the second half of which is coming at Easter, April 19th, I I believe. So they're certainly going to get their money's worth out of this you know, we're going to get two versions of the first movie between now and Easter. Then at Easter, we get a second one. I imagine they'll do the same thing again, probably. And it's awfully like complicated. Sort of, is it, though? No, I think that's one thing you can't, you cannot criticise this movie for being whatsoever, is complicated. It's such a sort of watered down, dumbed down, um, you know, pencil drawing version of all of this. Uh, and it's and it's the most frustrating because clearly he had all the possible resources at his disposal. He's got a pretty great cast. You've got Sophia Butella, Jimon Hansu, Ed Screen, Ray Fisher, well, Beidunar, well. Korean actress Na. Anthony Hopkins is basically bye bye. doing C he's basically doing C3PO. He's voicing the, the, the robot in all of this. Charlie Hunnam. Um, you know, the list goes on and on and on. It's you know, Carrie Elwes, Jenna Malone. Corey Stoll, you know, you, you spend the whole moving movie going, Oh, it's that guy. Oh, it's that girl. Oh, it's that guy. Okay. And you're like, but what, you know, and you can understand why they might want to be part of this because it is such a sort of a big event movie. Mm -hmm. But then you sit down and you watch it and you're like, all you want to do is leave. or certainly certainly somebody older than 12 all they want to do is i want to just go watch seven samurai i even just want to go watch the first star wars even though i'm kind of sick of star wars at this point <laughs> or i just i just want to go watch dune even the david lynch version you know Oof. it's it's just so lazy in its uh, in its referencing, that it is essentially, it just kind of comes out as sort of almost plagiarism. It's almost just like, well, why not just acknowledge that you're making Seven Samurai in space and be done with it? All
0: right, Simon, I think I think he doesn't like this, to be perfectly honest. So uh, it's not yeah. my favourite. I love the way that favorite. you spend more time getting stuck into films you don't like than the ones you do. Yeah. That's brilliant. Right, let's talk about something that's rubbish. Let's for talk half about something
1: rubbish for half an Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. All right, we'll give that one a skip, Marshy. What's next? Well, no, I would like. I think it is something that a lot of people are going to end up watching. Yeah,
0: especially if they have already.
1: <laughs> and I, I want, I want to hear from people. You know, if you, especially if you liked it. You I know,
0: don't think, I don't think come, anybody's going to want to sort of put their head of water. I'll be, I'll be,
1: nice, but I'm very curious as to what people, what people like about it. You know, and I, I suspect that, that that it's defenders, and you know. Uh, no offence to anybody who who does like it. I, I suspect that the people who are getting really into it, and there certainly is, uh, you know, there there are voices out there. Sure. Uh, they're just, they're, they're young. They're young they audiences. They don't know what they're talking are, about. They don't know what they're talking about. You know, they don't know what they're missing. They haven't seen all the films that this film is referencing and homaging or ripping off, depending on uh, your perspective on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I suppose that the the silver lining to all of this is that if Rebel Moon... Uh, encourages just one person to go and watch Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. Yep. Then I suppose it hasn't all been for nothing because there that is go. one one of the greatest movies of all time. There you go. And, um, Serendipity. Yeah. You know, yep. So there you go. So there is that. I just wish they were a little bit more sort of honest about <laughs> about it rather than. Uh, passing it off as something sort of originally because because the, the the narrative around it is very much like you know this isn't a, a based on an existing ip this isn't a sequel it isn't a remake it isn't a comic book adaptation no but also very much yes it's it's all of the above churned together and just given a new hat is that it are you and done? the hat and the hat is see-through are you finished Let's do another I, for now. Come on then. Let's do another <laughs> one, shall we? Okay, so yeah, the uh, the big local movie out. Um, I think it actually opens tomorrow, but I'm pretty sure it's been uh, previewing already. Yeah, is um, the Goldfinger, which is a big new financial drama from Felix Chong, who was the scriptwriter of Inferno. Use... Never mind. Go on. No, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. no. What? I mean,
0: the, t- the, the title the Goldfinger. Of... Yeah. Do you
1: me yeah it's yeah I mean I'm not sure tell you what let's sure put the word the is. before it piece of cake nobody will know that's it I mean am I right in in Chinese I think if you're a gold finger or golden finger if someone gives you the golden finger it that means you're sort of snitching on them you're grasping them up to the authorities I think or to or to the boss or something like that mm. I believe that's what the phrase golden finger refers to but then the movie isn't really exactly about that so this is um loosely based on the true story of the um what's what's the what's the company the carrion property empire that rose yeah, yeah, rose yeah. to prominence in the sort of 70s and 80s only to come crashing down uh in what 83 something like that following a sort of economic mini economic crisis so you've got tony learn here playing a sort of a guy called henry ching who is basically sort of a, uh, a thinly veiled version of um, what's he called George Tan, was it the head of that company, uh, who arrives from from sort of vaguely um, mysterious Southeast Asian foreign shores, which is a, an increasingly common location in movies these <laughs> days from this part of the world, just somewhere vaguely Southeast Asian where they speak Chinese, but you know, but they they are not under the jurisdiction of of the Chinese authorities, essentially, and it runs so, with Delasia. Uh, Bad people, yeah. Bad people come from these places. Yes. Uh, He shows up and he very quickly makes a name for himself in the the, the property market. He scams some gangsters out of or property shady property dealers out of you know money and their land. Um, He also recruits uh, a a young lady uh, in the form of Charlene Choi to be his sort of assistant, and he names the whole, I think her name's Carmen in the movie, names the whole company after her, so it becomes kind of like the, the Carmen, um, the, the Carmen company, essentially. But um, only that you know there isn't really a romantic interest between them he sort of almost uses her as bait for to reward other members of his you know growing consortium of shady lawyers and investors and what have you uh on the other side of all of this you've got andy lau uh, as a sort of agent of the icac looking into sort of the corruption of it all and and what have you and um so it sort of sets itself up as this kind of sort of epic standoff between Tony Leung and Andy Lau the likes of which we haven't seen since uh Infernal Affairs 20 Mm. years ago and I think it's the first time they've actually Goodness me yeah first Infernal Affairs was 2002 um they weren't in the they weren't in the second one they were in the third one and I think that's the last time they've been in a movie so it has been 20 years um I think you know, and, and, and as I said, Felix Chong, who writes and directs, was the original screenwriter of uh, Infernal Affairs. Mm. What well, I think it's a movie, to be quite honest, it's a movie that's far more interested in its wigs and its suits and the production design and just recapturing the spirit of the 70s in Hong Kong, you know, kind of when it was a bit like the Wild West yeah. and all the rest of it. <laughs> Um, than it is in telling a particularly sort of captivating and intricate story. A lot of it is told. But surely the graphic, the graphics, uh,
0: the visuals, and everything. Um, you should be commending them for that,
1: shouldn't you? I no, I am. They're they're great, but they're almost um, <laughs> they're 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 forgetting to tell an, an engaging story uh, because they're too too interested in um, making sure Tony Looking Leung nice. has a snappy suit, yeah. snappy suit, and a funny wig on. Um, You know, a lot of it's told in flashback from interrogations with, you know, members of his inner circle who are, you know, who are still around. You know, they're being held over the coals. And so, um, and so this is much their reminiscences of what it was like, you know, to be with him and to watch his rise and to, Mm. you know, to be at his side as he was doing all of this stuff. And, you can tell that felix chong the director um is a big fan of the wolf of wall street you know uh, there's a lot of even though it's set in the <laughs> 70s rather than sort of the, the 90s or whatever that was set, the, you know, there are a lot of very similar sequences in in how you know they you know their celebrations and the the increased um, debauchery of what happens during office hours in their hours, how they celebrate uh you know investment successes a lot of those sequences are, there's a very sort of weird musical choices all the way through and a lot of that feels very um indebted to the wolf of wall street scorsese's movie um but at the end of it you kind of walk away thinking you know it wasn't really actually about very much or rather it wasn't really very weighty there wasn't a lot of substance to it it was all flash which one could argue was was the character himself you know he was a great con artist he was a great sort of showman he was he was a great swindler you know, and it was all smoke and mirrors, and you know, and in the end, he, you know, what, what, what really was there in terms of sort of substantial investment or whatever? Nothing. You know, it was all, <laughs> it was all just a ruse. And when the bubble burst, you know, those that put their money into it were left with nothing. Yeah. So, if I'm being generous, you can say, well, that's what the movie is too. You know, it's as you might say, you know, Don't it's all the eggs. Don't say it. You and, make me say that every and, week. No. I do. Well, you say it every week to the point where you've now got it in my head. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we do it. So it's it's okay, it passes the time, but I think that there was a far meatier story in there. Okay. And, you know, had they bothered to tell it, it might have be, ended up being a much better movie. But they look good. And that whole deal looked, in but real looks.
0: life is fascinating mm. if you read back about that. Absolutely yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I,
1: ima- I imagine it, it, that's a far more sort of... Uh, thrilling story than uh, than what's up here on screen. But, right. you know, it's not, it's not bad. Brilliant. It's, it's last not one great. of
0: 2023. Yeehaw. Remind our listener what your top movie was.
1: <laughs> OK, well, so that was uh, The Goldfinger. That is out uh, in cinemas, as is the Japanese drama Evil Does Not Exist. Rebel Moon Part 1 is on Netflix right now. Very curious yeah. to hear what people think of that. My well, my number one of mm, the movie... Last yeah, that we week, talked, last time we, we go, chatted, yeah. uh, it, My number one was Oppenheimer That was my favourite movie of the year.
0: Brilliant. All right, then. So next week, yeah, we'll have to do your uh, your favourite look forward to the year or something. Okay, a
1: 2024 preview. Lots to come, including Rebel Moon Part 2. Can't wait.
0: Yay! All right, Marshy, (laughs) when it happens, have a wonderful new year, and I will catch you next week right here on The Brew. That's James Marsh.